Welcome everyone to another edition of the Self-Love Revolution. I am so excited to have Coot Blackson back. Coot, it's been about a year since we last spoke and I'm just so happy you're here again. Thanks for having me back. So we spoke last year when you first released the book, The Magic of Surrender. But hey folks, if you missed it, we're celebrating again because now you just released it in paperback, right? Yeah, the paperback version just uh, came out a few weeks ago. Here it is. It's all in paperback, and that's uh, very exciting. I love it. So, so please go and get it. it is, it's just an amazing book. Now you can take it on the airplane without it weighing too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just really appreciate all that you teach. And both of us talk a lot about self-love as a part of our work. So I, I want to know, how do you define self-love wow um i think self-love is pretty simple it's just learning to to love yourself as you are and as you want learning to love all parts of yourself especially those parts of yourself that perhaps you might have judgments on those parts of yourself that you might deem unlovable and so i think self-love is the act of bringing uh, compassion and empathy to yourself in different ways emotionally Uh, being gentle with your thoughts, uh, and also taking the actions that demonstrate that by doing things for yourself that are kind. And uh, so I think self-love is really being kind to yourself um, as much as possible. So, you know, you spoke about being kind in words. You also spoke about action. Do they have to come simultaneously? Does one sometimes come before the other? or, Or how do you see action and thought coming together? Yeah, I, I think I think you know I think the 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 willingness to meet yourself with gentleness because I think sometimes also in an effort to improve ourselves in an effort to be better in an effort to uh, you know it's called self improvement right in the effort to like be our best version of ourselves. end up judging or abusing ourselves into being a better version of ourselves. We end up pushing ourselves, being impatient with ourselves in order to be a better version of ourselves. So I don't think you can really abuse yourself in the transformation or judge yourself in the transformation. And I think, and, and, and the more we judge ourselves, the more we tend to reinforce the very things about ourselves that we're judging. And so there might be moments where you might not feel deep self-love. I don't feel it. But I think if you, what helps is I think when you can realize that those things you don't love about yourself or those patterns or those behaviors that you might be judging, most of them, you know, like underlying every behavior is a positive intention. There's a part of us that learned from a very young age a certain way of being to get certain needs met, to avoid pain, to get love, to get validation, to get approval, to fit in. And, you know, I think at the deepest level, what we're seeking is love. We're seeking to get love in different ways, in different expressions. And I think if we can just acknowledge that underlying every behavior is a positive intention, then we can see that behavior or that aspect of ourselves that learned to be a certain way that we judge or we deem unacceptable, um, it's trying to get something for us uh, in maybe an unhealthy way, maybe the way we're going about trying to get love and validation, betraying ourselves, sabotaging, acting out, right, might not be healthy. But what we're trying to get the drive is 
it's a beautiful intention. And so I think when we can see that we might be coming from pain, might be coming from hurt, then it's a bit easier to bring, uh, to choose, to consciously bring the act of loving to ourselves and meet ourselves with kindness, you know, and be with ourselves with kindness. And to me, raw healing is the application, applying love to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. That's healing. Mm. So jumping to surrender and the magic of surrender. Surrender is, can be a charged word for people because surrender is weak. You know, the country that lost surrenders or, or the loser surrenders. So how do you define surrender and how do we work with surrender? Yeah, I think surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. Surrender is the password to freedom. Surrender for me is the key to our next level. Surrender is the real secret to manifestation. If you look at all of the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, uh, Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali, uh, Bruce Lee, Bob Marley, right? Um, they all surrendered themselves. They surrendered themselves to a purpose that was bigger than themselves. They let go and they surrendered themselves to the universe, to the divine, to life, to the, to the most authentic soul's impulse. And in that surrender, that letting go, they transcended themselves. They went beyond their own personal power, their own limited egos, uh, a, a sort of ability to manifest and make things happen. They tapped into another dimension of their own potential. They tapped into another dimension of their own power. They tapped into the pure potential of life itself and that infinite intelligence of life is what began to live through them and express through them uh, in ways that their own limited human ego selves could never have done. It's like life was manifesting through them. And so in surrender, you get yourself out of the way. Yes, there is a misconception. It's a misconception that, or a limited perspective, that to surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that to surrender means giving up, waving the white flag. If you surrender, you're going to be a victim. You're going to be a doormat. You're going to be abused. You're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be trodden on. It, it means shaving your head, moving to the Himalayas, being homeless, giving away everything, right? Giving away all your possessions. Who the hell wants to do that? It's not very exciting. And so, so we tend to run away from surrender and we tend to control. And so to me, surrender, it, it's like, what if you didn't get less, but you got more, like more, more than you could even imagine with your logical mind, more than you could even see and imagine with your ego's capacity, more than you could even imagine. The more, to me, that's what the magic is about. Magic is that which is beyond your, your conscious capacity to imagine what's possible. And, and what I found is when you surrender and you let go, you take the limits off of life. When you surrender and let go, you're truly open and available to, to, to infinite possibilities. That's when the magic happens. And all of us, we want magic, but we don't want to surrender. We want to hold on to who we are. We want to hold on to what we know. We want to hold on to what we've been. We want to hold on to what we've seen. And so surrender is really a letting go of control, or I should say the illusion of control, the illusion that we are in control. I think in the last few years have shown us anything. It's shown us that we're really not as in control as we thought. Control is the master addiction. It's the ego that is addicted to control. But if we understand just like our patterns and certain behaviors that the ego's job is to reinforce its existence, the ego being that which we think ourselves to be, that which we identify ourselves to be based on name, body, form, uh, conditioning, uh, values, belief system, stories, memories from the past. 
Ego's job is to reinforce its existence. Ego's job is to protect us. Ego's job is to prevent us from getting hurt again, like we were hurt when we were children. And so the ego tends to hold on. And so there's this idea that if we can control everything and everyone and everything around us, which is why many of us end up being control freaks, control, 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 then I won't get hurt again, which is an absolute illusion because there's so much of life that we really can't control. That's not in our control. And so surrender is letting go of this illusion of control. It's letting go of trying to force and manipulate life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should look, our limited idea of how we think it should be. Surrender is letting go of the idea of who we think we should be and the life we think we should be living so that we can truly be open and available and embrace the life, the authentic life that is seeking to unfold, the authentic life that is seeking to emerge, the authentic life that is seeking to express through us and in us and as us. And so surrender, when we surrender, we take the limits off of life. We're available, we're open, we, we're receptive. We allow life to show us. We allow life to reveal itself to us. We allow ourselves to be guided by life, to be led by life. And I think in that, that's when miracles occur, you know, that we couldn't even have projected. And I think that's the beauty. That's the invitation to truly surrender. Sometimes, like I'm not saying that you couldn't manifest with your ego. Like ego, just, just, just to clarify, ego, ego is not a thing. Ego is what resists surrender. It's our ego that tries to control and resist surrender and resist change. And for the ego, surrender seems very hard, feels very hard. But actually, in actuality, surrender, I think, is easy. Surrender is natural. Surrender is the natural way of life. Like, for instance, if uh, uh, right now I'm holding a pen and I'm making a fist very tightly, and to hold on at first is a kind of a little difficult, but if I hold on very tightly making this fist, this is kind of symbolically what we do as human beings. If I hold on, for long enough, eventually this holding on position, this fist position starts to feel normal. It starts to feel natural. But in fact, it's letting go and surrender. It's like, how easy is that, right? But, but and that's why I say surrender is natural. It's, it's, it's effortless, but we've just been conditioned to resist. We've been conditioned to control. And ego is not a thing, it's a process. Ego is a process of identification and the degree to which we are identified with past experiences, memories, thoughts, feelings, the degree to which we're identified is the degree to which we're in ego is the degree to which we're stuck is the, is the degree to which we are, uh, we, we will tend to resist because for the ego, our perceived sense of self and who we believe ourselves to be for the ego, surrender, letting go, questioning ourselves, change feels like a death. Like if I let go of that belief, if I let go of that way of looking at the world, if I let go of that idea, then since that's me, who the hell will I be? So ego resists as a self-preservation mechanism. And that's why we tend to avoid change, resist change. And so, you know, when we're born as children, we don't have ego. We're born free. We're, we're, especially when we're really young, we're in touch with the divine. We're in touch with our essence. We're in touch with our true nature. We don't have that self contractive consciousness we haven't been beaten up by life and conditioned by society and our parents a child will jump on the table and just sing 
A child doesn't care if it doesn't sound like, you know, Whitney Houston. A child will run through the streets. We're not, hey, that's not good. That's not, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't go. You know, a child just doesn't care. Like it's one's naked. It's like, eh, am I fat? Do I have cellulite? It doesn't know. It's just being what it is. Just freedom, whole, perfect, complete, divine expression. So what that, we were all that. We were all in touch with that openness beyond conditioning beyond ego so what the hell happened we incarnated we met our parents our parents were just doing the best that they could do based on their parents their upbringing their, their you know their grandparents their societal conditioning their childhood traumas and so maybe now dad is an alcoholic maybe mom has mental health issues maybe they're fighting all the time there's dysfunction pain trauma in the framework of what we're born into and so as children, two things happen. The first thing is we learn to shut down, disconnect, not feel. We start suppressing, suppressing, suppressing so many feelings as a way to, to just function and cope. And before you know it, years go by and our true light, our true essence is hidden underneath the mountains, the mountain of unprocessed, unfelt feeling. Uh, that we've just learned to suppress. And then we learn all sorts of strategies to disconnect and not feel, and we start erecting, shall we say, walls around our heart to not feel the pain of dad is beating mom or you know, no one's talking to each other or you know my emotional needs aren't being met. And so we start erecting walls around our heart in order to not feel. And we hold on to that defensive survival mechanism and way of being as a way to function, survive, and cope. And now walls are up, we're guarded, and all of a sudden we hold tightly to that. That identification and holding on is ego. And we manifest ego in order to make sure we never get hurt like that again. So now what works for us when we were five, we're 15, we're 20. Now we're 25, we're 30, we're 35, we fall in love. Our heart cracks open. Our heart is opening and, and, and ego is like, it now starts resisting. It's like, no, 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 no. You can't open your heart fully because what if you open your heart and you get hurt like you got hurt when you were five so you know we, we start sabotaging the relationship we start pushing the person away we start you know doing all sorts of things not receiving love just so that we don't get hurt again and that's why if we can truly i think self-love right if we can truly understand the nature of ego it's not a thing and we are not it it's a pattern and construct of conditioning. It's a set construct of patterns that have come into place to avoid pain, but also get love. Because as children, we do a dance. Like, who, who do I need to be in order to get love and validation and approval from my parents and those around me? And so we develop all sorts of roles and masks and personas of who we think we need to be to get love, validation, and approval. We become nice. We become sweet. We betray ourselves. We say yes when we mean no. We become super intelligent. We get all A's. The good boy, the independent one, the caretaker. We develop all these roles to get love, validation, and approval. And we hold tightly to this, shall we say, way of being. We contort ourselves into a shape to become who we think we need to be to, to get love. And the more we hold on to that, the more it gets reinforced. The more it gets reinforced, the more we think that's who we are. The more we think that's who we are, the more in ego we are. And, and as we hold tightly to that, we think, this is me. And we never really question. And now we hold so tightly to the version of ourselves that we've become, which is really a pattern of conditioning. And we're not as, now we're adults and we're not as free. We're not, we're not as free to be ourselves. We're not as free to be that essential nature. We're not as free to be living joy and fluidity and creativity because we're holding on, we're, we're conditioned into a pattern. And so ego is a construct. 
Ego is a process of identification. And if we can understand <clears throat> the job of the ego is to reinforce its existence and to make sure we don't get hurt again. If we can really self-love, like really understand like, oh, I see, I, I'm not ego. <clears throat> it's just a pattern. It's not who I am. And ego was just kind of got, got created a certain way to keep me safe. What, what a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Then your relationship with ego, which you previously may have been judging yourself or like, why do I do that? Wrong me. Why do I keep sabotaging? Why do I keep pushing people? Why do I keep doing a pattern? Then you can shift your relationship with yourself, shift your relationship with control, shift your relationship with those aspects of yourself that perhaps you used to judge and start finding a bit of compassion. Like, oh, I see. I see when I was very young, I developed that way of being. Not because I'm a bad person, not because I'm mean, not because something's wrong with me, just from good intention. And I think when we can see that, then we can start meeting ourselves with compassion. Then we can hold ourselves and those aspects of ourselves with more compassion, more empathy, more kindness. And what happens is when we hold ourselves in that space of loving and kindness, and at least just compassion, because we realize, wow, I must have been really hurting. Then, then often those parts of ourselves can start relaxing. Those parts of ourselves can start relaxing. And that's when surrender can also start happening. And, and so, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll pause right there. So, you know, you say surrender is easy, mm -hmm. right? Just like dropping that pencil. Did surrender always come easy for you? Or did, uh -huh. or was there th this time that, that you figured out, oh, this ego is a construct and, and I can break free of the ego? Like, what, what was that process of you discovering surrender? I think there were different stages of it. Um, like, uh, look, I, I always felt a calling to serve people. I always felt some call. I grew up in a, I think I may, we may have talked about this before, but I grew up, my father's a healer and a minister and built 300 churches. And uh, I grew up seeing miracles and blind people seeing and deaf people hearing. And so this was my environment. And so on one level, it was great. Um, I wasn't very close to my father on a human level. So that had its own human pain and challenges. I was supposed to take over my father's churches. I was ordained as a minister when I was 14. My entire life was set out for me. No one spoke to me about it. And so uh, I think one level of surrender happened around 17, 18, when, when, I, when I really had to acknowledge that this is not my path and this is not my life. And, and even though my entire life was carved out for me, this is not the life that my soul felt called. So I had to surrender to my deeper level of truth. And a deeper level of truth was acknowledging this isn't for me, which was terrifying and scary. And having that conversation with my father and letting everyone down, leaving everyone behind was terrifying as can be, you know, because for me, my fear was if I own my truth and I embrace my truth, then I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to lose the relationship with my father. I'm going to be outcast. I'm going to be alone. And I think many of us, we don't embrace our truth. We don't surrender fully to what, like surrendering is, is to surrender to what's true. It's to surrender, part of surrender is surrendering to what your truth is, surrendering to your integrity, surrendering to what's most authentic. And for me, it was to leave my father's ministry, which was terrifying. And so I think there's a fear. We're often afraid of the consequences of what we think will happen if we surrender. 
what we think we will happen if we acknowledge the truth. And many times the consequences are really projections. We go into a negative future fantasy and project into the future things that we think will happen if we surrender that really never happen or just, just or, or simply are projections. And so for me, a, a real moment of surrender happened when I had that conversation and left everything behind. And it was, it was challenging. You know, that was a, a big one. And my father and I, we didn't speak for two years. Wow. Challenging, heartbreaking, difficult. Sometimes people think when you follow your truth and you surrender, everything is easy. Not necessarily. But what I did know is had I gone along with the life that was set out for me, had I gone along with the expected path, it might have been easy in the moment, but it would have been more difficult in the long run. Because I, if I lived the lie now, I would, I would end up having to live the lie for the rest of my life. And that self-betrayal. So like, if you don't surrender and deal with the truth now, at some point you will have to deal with it. And you will definitely deal with it, even if at some point you think you don't deal with it, you'll deal with it in the life that you live, which will often be limited. And then we end up wondering, what, why, do, why do I not feel alive? Why do I not feel joy? Why do I not feel energy? Why do I not, do I not feel vitality? Why am I not excited? Why do I feel pain in my life? Why, am I, you know, wh why is my body aching? Why, why am I frustrated? Why am I angry? Why am I resentful? Why do I have a dis-ease? Because many times when we lie to ourselves, we don't tell ourselves the truth. It has an impact. It has a cost. And so... That initial moment of surrender for me was huge, was huge. And, and, and another moment, you know, there were many moments of surrender. I think as human beings, we're all in a continual process of surrendering. I think life is the process of surrender. It's the only thing that's going on, whether we're aware of it or not. So it's not about if we're going to surrender. It's just about how are we as human beings going to participate in the process of surrender that is happening? Like, like, like we're born and we all age age 10, age 15, age 20, the most beautiful supermodel is going to age. <laughs> and a lot of people have you know, a hard time with that. Age. My wrinkles, my hair's falling out, my skin, my body, my joints, my hair, my heart, huh? <gasps> aging. And so you don't have to like it. You can resist it. You can do whatever. But the fact is, is what happens. It's a process of surrender. We have to, sur we have to surrender. So it's not about if, it's about how are you going to participate in the fact of the process that life is the process of surrendering. And, and so when I came to the US, another example, I, I wanted to go into the personal growth, but when I got to Los Angeles, I found out about Oprah and media and all this stuff I didn't know. And I thought, wow, when I was 19, 20 years old, I wanted to have a TV show and I wanted to be the next Oprah and inspire people through television. And I got so, honestly, man, I got so obsessed, like the opposite of surrender. I got so obsessed and attached to what I thought was my destiny, what I thought my life would look like. I got attached to it. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to look like. This is what it's going to be. And I got so attached to it that I literally ended up broke and homeless and sleeping on a friend's couch in pursuit of this dream. And I could not imagine a life that was not that. And some people would say, great, you got to be obsessed. Yeah, but when you're attached, when you're attached, you end up limiting life. 
when you attach to the outcome, you're not truly available and open to the highest. You want what you want. And many times you get what you think you wanted, only to realize that what you thought you wanted is not what you really wanted. It's just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And, and in many ways, without attachment to our goals, we often don't realize that we're limiting the universe. We're like, I want that peanut. I, I want that peanut. I really need to get that peanut. I need to make that peanut happen. And we think the peanut is amazing, but we don't realize that the universe is seeking to give us a buffet of mm. possibilities. But like, no, 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 no. I, I, this person has to be my soulmate. It's got to be her. It's got to be this person. It's got to be him. Only this person. But if it's not right, it's not right. And so forcing things to be something doesn't make it so. And, and so... I remember for a couple of years really trying to make a talk show happen and force a talk show to happen. I got so much rejection. So, like I was laughed out of studios, laughed out of restaurants. I mean, laughed out of offices, laughed out of pitch meetings. I mean, I faced so much rejection, brother, that it, it, you know, as a young man, it, it was crazy. Um, and there came a point when I was offered a show and I was offered the opportunity. Long story short, I met with these Hollywood managers and uh, they represented Michael Jackson, Barbara Streisand, Mariah Carey, Jennifer Lopez, Leonardo DiCaprio, Backstreet Boys. And long story short, they said, we want to represent you, make you a star. And I'm 21 years old. I'm like, finally, someone sees what I see. And, and they're like, let's do it. And they handed me, literally, they handed me the management contract. And they said, come back tomorrow with it signed. I went home and I meditated on it, like everything I do. And everything in my meditation said no. Now, this was the same voice that guided me to leave my father's church. This was the same knowing <clears throat> that helped me win a green card. This was the same knowing that helped me navigate my life. And I was a young man. And I knew that, uh-oh, if I don't follow this knowing, things, things, things tend not to go too well. <laughs> and, and, and I was crazy enough to, not follow, to, to, to follow that knowing and told these managers, can't do it. They thought I was crazy. I went into a real depression because I thought, what, I said, universe, like, what the hell do you want from me, God? Like, I'm following my passion, what I think is my purpose, and now I'm guided to not do it. And I went into a bit of a funk. And that was a real moment of surrender for me. Sometimes what your soul guides you to do won't always make sense to your mind. Because from the perspective of the ego, the ego is limited in its, in its perception and perceptive ability. What your soul guides you to do one, most of the time won't make sense to your logic. Uh, it may not always be convenient, but what I have found is the soul has an intelligence beyond conditioning, beyond your past, beyond time and space, and the soul knows what is in your highest. The soul has its own agenda for what it is seeking to learn and experience and evolve through and grow through. And I believe from my experience, hard-earned experience, if you follow your soul, you don't compromise your soul, you don't compromise your integrity, you follow that knowing inside that is, that is a subtle sense sometimes of just that guiding impulse, you'll always end up in the right place. Maybe not in the time you think, maybe not the route you think, but you'll end up in the right place. And so I said no to these managers. And everybody said I was nuts and crazy and I went into a bit of a depression. And that was a huge moment of surrender to me for me in a really profound way. Yeah. I want to dig into that because that really is profound. You, you, you had a dream, a goal, you actually created it. You manifested it. You made it happen. You had the contract in front of you to sign. 
Yeah. And then the voice says, no, no. No. Now, now, you know enough and you've, you've done enough to realize that you have to follow the voice, but then you fall into this depression. So what happens then? How do you navigate the depression? How long did it last? What, what was, how did you get to the other side of it? I'll be honest, for me, I had to really grieve. Um, first, I had to accept. Acceptance is a, is a first step. But acceptance isn't surrender. Acceptance isn't surrender. We have to accept what is, but we can still be mad at what is, right? It's like, it's raining outside. Well, screw the universe that's raining outside. I want to go for a run. Okay, but I'm going to accept that it's raining outside and kind of cross your arms a little pissed off. So you can be in acceptance. But surrender is the open-hearted participation with the process of life as it's happening. And for me the missing link that I had to go through that I think many of us don't go through to move us from acceptance to surrender. So we have to be willing to grieve because surrender is a death. It's a death of an idea, a death of a dream, a death of who we think we were, a death of what we think we, our life was going to be. It's a death in that death. Only in that grieving process, can we truly let go of the past, the bitterness, the anger, the resentment, the shame, the hurt, the whatever from the past, the heartbreak, to be able to open our hearts to embrace the new. And for me, this was a death of a dream. And I said to, so the process was, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was in a bit of a funk for like a month. And that's when I finally said, you know what? I'm going to accept that at least what I thought was isn't meant to be, and it doesn't make sense to me. And and I, I, I'll never forget, I was driving, to, this is exactly what happened. I was driving to San Diego and I said, God, universe, whatever. Um, I don't know what you want from me. I feel I'm supposed to do something impactful with my life. And I really want to know truth. I want to know what my purpose is, like Gandhi knew his and like, you know, Jesus knew his. I, I want to know what my, like Martin Luther King knew. I want to know what my purpose is. And I heard this literally again, this voice <laughs> it's as I'm driving, it says, uh, walk the Camino. Walk the Camino. And I just read a book by Shirley MacLaine about the Camino. You see, so it was in my mind, walk the Camino. Uh, I don't, uh, hell no. I don't want to walk the Camino. I, like, like, is there another voice out there somewhere? Maybe it's the wrong, maybe the right voice is asleep today. Walk the Camino. It's not what I wanted to hear, but I felt it to be true. I felt it to be true. I'm going to share a backstory into that and come back to your grief because it's so important. I resisted, I resisted, I resisted. I told my girlfriend at the time, I'm hearing this voice, walk the Camino. She says, you need to do it. You need to do it. So I said, okay. And I went to dinner with my best friend at the time, a guy called Roger. I was flat broke. Man, I was just 20 something. I was, I was broke. I, I, I was as broke as a, as, as, as a rat on, you know, in downtown LA. I mean, I had nothing. And so I thought, how the hell am I going to walk the Camino? But I feel this calling, you know? And I'm telling my friend now about, like, I feel this calling to walk the Camino. I want to inspire people. And, and this is, for some reason, this is what I'm guided to do. So I have fully said yes to it. And I'm going to walk it. I'm not sure how. 
but I'm going to do it. He's like, wow, cool, cool, cool. Goes, uh, what does it take? I guess I, I have no idea, but you know, backpack and some things and probably have to be gone for a month or two. And uh, kid you not. Now this was my best, my best friend who for all intents and purposes, drove a beat up Toyota, wore the same clothes all the time, who I thought he had no money. He, I'll never forget this day in Culver City in a restaurant, in a deli. He looks underneath the table, he writes something and he pushes a piece of paper across the table that's, that's you know, not, it's not, the, the top isn't showing, so I couldn't see anything. And uh, I was like, what is it? It's the size of a check. He said, this is for you. So I turn it over. It's a check written out to me for five thousand dollars. I'm like, what the hell? And then he's finishes writing something else, and he writes an, another piece of paper. Like, what is this? Turn it over. Five thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars. Goes. Whoa. I'm like, what is this? Goes. It's for you. I'm like, alone? Is it? He says, no, it's not alone. He says, this is for you to walk the Camino because I know that if you walk the Camino you will impact many people's lives and you will transform many people's lives and he said Ku, I work for a company a tech company this is when tech was like booming and he goes I am like literally like just above the janitor level in this tech company and my stock options have exploded they've exploded and he said I hate my job I don't even know why I'm there I feel like I only give 20% at work, wondering why I'm there. But I think it's moments like these that I realize why I'm working there is to be able to channel some of that money that has been bestowed to me out of nowhere through my stock options to someone like you, to people like you, so that you can fulfill your purpose and potential. And he said, that's a part of what I, he goes, as you're speaking, I realize now that's part of my purpose for being there. And this is how, I can help. And he said, don't consider this alone. You never have to pay me back. This is not a loan and it's not a gift from me, Roger. This is simply a gift from God to you and I'm the delivery person. So that's the end of the story. And I'm like in shock. So all of a sudden now I have $10,000 to walk the Camino. I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, it's just meant to be. And again, that was a confirmation of like, wow, surrender, magic of surrender. You want magic, you got to surrender. This is the formula. And I ended up walking the Camino and it was on that journey that I took, I really just took the space and the time to grieve. On that journey, I grieved my life. I grieved all the dreams I thought I was going to be as the next Oprah. I grieved, you know, all the ideas and the dreams and the visions and what have you. And I said to the universe, I surrender completely. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I feel this impulse. And what I gave up was how I thought it was going to look. And all I said was, I just want to be used in my lifetime in the highest way possible to serve humanity. Show me the way. That was my prayer. Like, use me for the highest good. And, and grieving, you see, surrender is a death. Many times we don't allow ourselves to grieve fully on a human level because we think that if we grieve, it will last forever. We think that if we grieve, it will break us so wide open that we won't survive. Sometimes uh, 
we sometimes don't allow ourselves to grieve something uh, also as a sneaky unconscious way to holding on. Because like, for instance, if I really grieve it, then that means I have to really acknowledge that it's done, it's over, the relationship's over. If I really grieve the death of my mother, then I have to really acknowledge that she's actually dead. But if I don't grieve it, I can somehow be in denial up here. And so grieving is a real acknowledgement and releasing of the past and opening. To, if I really grieve that this relationship is over, maybe it's not, you know? And, and, and so sometimes we resist grieving as a way to hold on to what was, as a way to stay connected to what was. And, and sometimes we grieve, we don't allow ourselves to grieve because... We, it's like a spiritual bypass, like, oh, I want to stay in a high vibration, law of attraction, high vibration, not realizing that by not grieving, we carry that, that, that heavier energy with us. And as we carry that heavy energy with us, we just tend to manifest and recreate more of the unresolved energy that we're carrying. And so when we realize that all feelings remain present till fully felt, grief happens in stages, grief happens in cycles, and what we don't grieve and what we don't feel will tend to manifest in unhealthy ways. And so I cried and I cried and I cried and I let go and I cried and the grieving and the pain and the, and the perceived loss, what I thought I was losing, the, the grief just lessened and lessened and lessened. And I got to the point when there was just space, you know, there was just space. And in that space, I thought, okay, I could feel my heart again. And I was, and I was in that moment, I was truly open to not like what I thought should happen. I was open to, okay, what does life has in, have in store for me? And that's when, when I look back now, I realized, wow, had I gotten that TV show that I wanted when I was 21, 22 years old, it, honestly, I think it would have been very dangerous for a kid at 21, you know, uh, whose, whose ego wasn't developed properly and 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 you know a lot of human level psychological level issues weren't really integrated yet i mean i was in the process i think it could have been a recipe for an implosion which you see happen a lot when people get to a level of fame and success and then just the ego isn't is is not structured in a way to be able to handle it and so when i look back it was not getting what i thought i wanted that took me down a path of profound healing it, because it was on that trip. I walked the Camino for 30 days and had certain awakening experiences. It was on that trip. I used that money to travel to Thailand, use that money, travel to Israel, use that money, ended up in India and traveled in India and went so deep. And over the years went so deep in my own healing process and transformational process and, you know, personal evolution process that I think had I gone what I thought I wanted, I probably wouldn't have gone as deep down that path. And so I think sometimes not getting what you think you want is really a greater blessing, even though the ego isn't always able to see and understand why in that particular moment. And so that was a surrender moment and a grieving moment for me. Yeah. Wow. So you said when we surrender, we get things we can't even imagine manifesting. Can't even imagine. So I'm curious. So what things have you found in your life that came about oh. through surrender, but you didn't picture it? It wasn't a goal. And it was just, this is what the well, universe gave I mean, you. I mean, so many things, you know. Uh, 
you know, even the work I do now and the work that has been created, you know, um, sure, I wanted to do something around it, but the way it's manifested, the level of, the depth of impact, the depth of transformation, the type of clients, I mean, I've worked with some of the most influential, richest influential leaders on the planet uh, that, you know, people that are running countries, people that are running economies, people that are impacting society, people that you would know about that are, and, and the privilege to transform their lives could not have planned those things. I mean, so many amazing things. Um, wow. I mean, uh, for, I'll give you one, 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 one tangible little example. I was supposed to go to Asia uh, in 2010 to, to, uh, to speak for a company. And a company I thought was an amazing opportunity to speak to, to, to speak at this company. And I got my ticket. Everything in my gut said, no, don't do it. Don't like everything in my gut said, first go. Then then the deeper alignment was don't go, don't do it. I mean, logically, I should go because it's going to be an amazing platform, amazing opportunity. Don't do it. No reason why. Long story short, I had like a week, 10 days in my schedule told my travel agent, book me to go to, where was um, Ibiza and Israel. My credit card declined, 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 declined. We tried like eight times, declined, forced, declined. I said, uh, on a whim, I said, I give up. I don't know where the hell I'm supposed to go. So eh, just try Bali. If my, if my credit card can go to Bali, if my credit card works, then I'm going to Bali. Obviously not thinking it was going to work because it hadn't worked the last eight times. He says, yeah, the credit card worked. You're going to go to Bali tomorrow. I'm like, what the hell? Like, really? So I found myself in Bali with no agenda, no intention, no time to plan. And if I had gone on that trip and not to Bali, uh, so much would be different because I ended up creating a profound transformational journey to Bali that has impact, impacted, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives of participants. Uh, and as a result, rippled out and impacted countries and continents from their influence and, you know, millions of dollars. I mean, just, just, just a whole business side of my business that was unplanned, you know, um, ended up buying land in Tulum, in Mexico. And these aren't things I often talk about because it's not really, you know, what, what, what it's about, but you're asking, ended up buying land in Tulum, in Mexico that was a complete surprise and building building their incredible property and buying other pieces of land that you know quadrupled in value ended up buying 40 acres in joshua tree i mean honestly i mean so many amazing things have happened that i could not have planned honestly mm. could not have planned like, like i really couldn't have planned uh, so, so businesses i'm starting now that have nothing to do with you know self-help stuff that could not have planned in terms of real estate, in terms, I mean, I, I could bore you with stories. I'm not, I could talk to you all day long. I am so <laughs> not bored right now. Uh, if time weren't limited, I want to know about all of those. Uh, and true story, my wife and I are looking at Tulum to, to invest in property. I swear that it, it's so funny that you said Tulum. Um, so you have the summit coming up. So, and, and it's yes. the, the surrender summit, like a whole summit around surrender. So I want to know what it is and, and why, why it is. 
Yeah, look, it, it's very straightforward. Um, I feel like part of my mission is to spread the, the magic and the power of surrender and what it is to live surrender. I feel like the last two years, we are all being initiated into a new way of living by life, by the universe. And we're being invited to move from a ego-centric, ego-driven paradigm to a soul-based way of living uh, in harmony with life, in harmony with our souls, in harmony with the divine. And so uh, I think we're being invited to surrender as a humanity, as a society, and live what surrender is, you know, the last two years. And so I think it's perhaps the most important quantum shift we can make. And I just feel that part of my mission is to be an, I don't like the word evangelist, but be an evangelist for surrender. Be, be a leader in transmitting the real magic and power of what surrender can look like. It's not just like, yeah, you wear robes and go in the Himalayas. No, it's like you can live it in everyday life. And here's the magic that can happen when you live surrender and live in harmony with the divine and your soul. And so I feel very passionate about that because I've, I see the magic of it. I see what it can do. I see what the great ones, how they've lived it. And uh, I wanted, I felt guided similarly. Honestly, I felt just, it wasn't even a business idea. It was just, I felt really guided from my heart to, um, inspire people to live surrender in an authentic way and have this be an offering to, to people in the world at this time, this unique time in human history. And so it is a one week online summit, uh, five days plus a bonus day. That's what we call it a week. I'm bringing together some of my friends who I respect dearly. I'll be teaching every day but I'm bringing together some of my friends. We have about 20 people. Neil Donald Walsh of Conversations with God. Um, John D. Martini, who's in The Secret. Martha Beck, who's been on Oprah. Michael Beckwith, who's been on Oprah several times in The Secret. Um, Marcy Shymoff, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. I mean, the list goes on. Um, John Gray, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And we're bringing on some really amazing folks to guide and teach you how to live surrender in every area of your life, health, wealth, relationships, you know, spirit, soul, career, and uh, what it looks like. And I've asked them to share their secrets and how they have lived and used the power of surrender to create and manifest a life beyond their wildest dreams. And so it's going to be, honestly, it's going to be powerful. Uh, it's not a pitch fest. It is pure, like, I'm curating it. It's pure value. And uh, I'm extracting the nuggets of wisdom from each person and making sure everyone in the audience gets it. It's full of value. There's, a, there's about four sessions each day for five days, six days. And uh, it's full of, full of gems, full of value. So uh, the website is www.thesurrendersummit.com. That's thesurrendersummit.com. People can get free access, get some free gifts, spread the word, bring your friends. I honestly just want as many people to get access to the Surrender Summit as possible. So powerful. I mean, you. I've gotten so much just from this conversation and I know there's a ton more. And then to bring all those people together, um, what what an experience. I, I'm really looking forward to, to it. I am certainly gonna be there. Um, before we close, what's one thing for someone who, who 
you know, maybe he started the journey, but but isn't quite at the surrender place yet, right? You know, there's still, no, I, I can manifest this. What, what's one thing that they can begin to do today to move them to the next the next place? Yeah, so to speak? And, and look, I'll just say, you can manifest it on your own. You can. People have and people do and people will, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with it. It just will tend to be limited in some way uh, what you manifest will tend to be limited and i'm saying when you really live in alignment with surrender you take the limits off if you look at mandela that's not a life you could have planned and manifested he followed he surrendered and look what happened okay he went 27 years in prison i don't wish that on anyone but that was his path we all have our own path, but his life was not a life you could have planned and scripted and, and, and you know, strategized out. In the surrender, um, life is what lived him, you know, and that's what I'm inviting people to. It's like the magic is, is, is possible. And so, look, uh, I forget what we, we talked about in our first interview, but I would just invite people, just start, just start by telling yourself the truth about how you feel, about who you are. One of the things that stops us from surrendering, one of the ways that the ego resists is we lie to ourselves all the time. Sometimes we don't even know that we're lying to ourselves, but we lie to ourselves about who we are, about what we want, about what we feel. And that keeps us stuck. We stay in relationships that aren't aligned. We work jobs that aren't aligned, you know, and we end up staying stuck. And so ask yourself, what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? And what is it costing me? There is no real transformation and surrender without truth. And so if you want to just, just begin, you don't even have to take action. Sometimes we're afraid to tell ourselves the truth because we're afraid of the consequence. Like, oh, if I tell myself the truth, that I'm no longer in love, I have to leave. No, doesn't mean you will or you won't, but just start by telling yourself the truth. Not in love with this person. I haven't been in love with this person for five years. Just feel that. Just feel that and let that process marinate. Just start there. That will begin a process. Truth will set you free. You have to want what you want. What You have to want the truth more than you want what you think you want. You have to want the truth more than what you have. And when you want the truth, then you want to be free more than anything else. Nothing will stop it. And many times we have unconscious payoffs for why we stay stuck. And so I think if we can just start with the truth, I hate my job. I don't really want to transform. I'm afraid of X, Y, Z. That can begin a process inside and take the pressure off of taking action. The truth is real spiritual practice. The truth is surrender. The truth is real religion. The truth is real yoga. The truth will set you free. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, the summit is the Surrender Summit. The book is The Magic of Surrender. Coot, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate you.